Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. It's raining barely hard here. Evacuation orders again, all sorts of crazy stuff. But uh, that's not even uh, nearly as bad as the economy, right? What a mess this economy is. As you'd say, with all that helicopter money during COVID, supply chain issues, it brought on the inflation that we haven't seen in decades. And then there was the response, the response from the Federal Reserve to begin raising interest rates at a, you know cutthroat paces, never seen before, at least in terms of the slope, right? I mean, certainly back in the Paul Volcker days, you had higher interest rates, but you've never seen this kind of increase this quickly in absolute numbers. So that is where we were at and inflation has been going down for several months and we know that CPI came out today, which is probably about a week before this podcast goes out, but uh, it was still at 6%, well over the 2% target that the Fed has had for years. Now, that's why Jerome Powell uh, has been so hawkish even last week talking about continuing to raise interest rates aggressively. And they could, they could have done that without worry if nothing had happened. But in the last week, something indeed broke. We saw bank failures. We saw two of them. We saw Silicon Valley Bank and uh, Signature Bank fail. Now, they weren't doing anything particularly nefarious. This was not the story of subprime dad and all that kind of stuff that was happening in 2008. In fact, they seem to be doing what they were kind of supposed to on the surface. Now, I don't know, maybe something will come out that says they weren't, but they were investing in conservative bonds that became worthless because interest rates rose so much. As you may recall from basic finance, bonds prices uh, are inversely correlated uh, with interest rates. So guess what happened? Interest rates went crazy, bonds were worth, worth nothing, and that's where they were left on their balance sheet. Well, things are moving quickly now, and again, by the time I release this podcast a week from now, things could get worse, uh, could get a lot of worse. Uh, so now the Fed is in a pickle because usually when something breaks like it did, that's a signal for the Fed to back off any sort of hawkish stance. But with inflation still at 6%, that isn't exactly an easy decision, right? So what do I think is going to happen? Um, I'll tell you. Well, whether or not rates go up in the next meeting to me is irrelevant because I think that would just be a temporary pause. 
unless there are other signs of uh, systemic weakness that are simply too hard to ignore, the Fed's going to continue to raise interest rates uh, until inflation is ultimately tamed. And that, I believe, is going to happen. And that is going to result in a lot more destruction to the economy than we see now. And we are hearing all about these banks in the news right now. But I'll tell you what, the real estate market is about to see a bit of a reckoning as well. Um, there's There are properties that are going back right now. And not from like mom and pop players, but from major, major operators. So, you know, it is a, it is a very unusual situation. And um, I do believe within the next few months, uh, that there will be this proverbial blood in the streets. And in that process, it is quite possible, I'm just saying, it's reality for everyone, including me, that, hey, you might lose some money or you may not, you know, you may not get an outcome that you really wanted or whatever. However, in situations like this, the most important thing is to keep a level head. Why? Because it's blood in the streets, right? Every time, uh, you know, what was Warren Buffett says, you know, be greedy when others are afraid. I mean, others are going to be afraid, man. I mean, you're going to be paralyzed with fear if they are, aren't are already. I mean, you, you, you know, the mortgage lenders and all that already are. Um, but in that process, in that process where there's blood in the streets, those who act rationally and see the big picture are going to win. It's, it's going to be a buyer's market. I have no doubt, and it's going to be here shortly. That said, not to sound too depressing, but uh, you know, I wanted to discuss this real estate market a little bit more. So uh, this week, I've got our old friend George Newberry from AHP. He obviously is very familiar with not only real estate, but the debt markets as well. Make sure to listen to this interview. I, it was definitely something I think that will be worth your time, and we'll have it right after we come back from these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula is a regular. He's uh, one of the uh, first to ever appear on Wealth Formula podcast. I think he holds a record for the uh, number of appearances. Uh, his name is George Newberry. He is the founder of what uh, used to be American Homeowner Preservation, uh, then turned into AHP. 
also the founder of Debt Cleanse and oh, a whole host of other companies that I don't even remember. Uh, George, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Buck. Thanks for having me back. So, I do think I still continue to hold the record. I think you do, actually. In <laughs> fact, I think this was like, okay, well, just somebody's coming close. I think Tom Wheelwright might be coming close. Uh-huh. So we had to like you know, pull you in. The and get me back on. Yeah, that's right. Um, so George, uh, there is, so until we last talked, you know, all hell's broken loose, <laughs> you know, um, and obviously you're very much, your business is sort of right in the middle of uh, this whole world of debt. And so take us through what has happened from your perspective in the last, let's say, you know, 10, 11 Maybe it, it's been almost a year now where this... It has, I'd say nine months since yeah. June of last year is when they first started to be, like, okay, COVID, they lifted yeah. the mask restrictions and now things are going to get back to normal. And there was talk, I think it was late June or early July when they started, to, I think it was late mid to late June where they started talking about, hey, we're going to raise interest rates. But obviously those rates have, those rate increases have come in rapid succession and by significant numbers. Uh, and that has uh, caused, I, I think it's a, an, the unintended consequence of, of, of really thwarting the, uh, um, the mortgage industry and, and by extension, to some extent, the real estate um, market, and it has created massive layoffs and, and what we're seeing today, which is these, these bank uh, the first bank failures in uh, in three years, and the biggest bank failure since uh, since Washington Mutual in, in Silicon Valley Bank, and that's uh, I, I don't think that was intended, and I do think I do believe the Fed's going to meet over the next couple of weeks, and the the expectation was they were going to raise interest rates again. I cannot see how they they can do that. If if anything, they do nothing, um, and you know there's a. Uh, I can't imagine they're cutting it so soon, but at some, right now there is damage to the, to the financial markets and it's growing and uh, that's, that's problematic and so, I can George, sympathize. Let's, yeah. let's back up for a second. Cause I want you to, there's two things that you mentioned. One was like um, you said mass layoffs, but employment is still really high. And that's part right. one of the reasons that uh, you know, the, one of the reasons why we've got, you know, the fed driving up, uh, these rates is because high inflation or high employment ultimately leading to inflation, right? So when you say, when you're talking about mass layoffs, what are you talking about? I'm talking about in the mortgage industry. Uh, there's ma- a huge number of companies that have c- completely gone out of business. Uh, a huge number of companies that have uh, laid off significant number of their staff, including HP. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are, uh, and that's, and then any, any related business, real estate, title uh many of those kind of ancillary businesses have also suffered uh their own layoffs i mean they either lay off or i don't think anyone's volumes was the way it was a year ago and as a result the you know the, the sooner you lay off and, and kind of align costs and, and right size the operation with uh your current volume of business the, the better so um the other the other thing i wanted to just kind of drill down on is because maybe um you know a lot of people are kind of in passing hearing about this silicon valley bank issue but do you want to explain what happened i mean especially since sort of again this is you know your world of lending and everything so you probably have a really unique insight into what precipitated all this yeah i'm reading some of the articles on on silicon valley and i could relate it's an unfortunate situation uh that uh they were that the leadership at at silicon valley was faced with but just last week they had a a, uh, there was concerns 
rumblings that, oh, the bank could shut down and or, or could have have challenges. And as a result, some of the, the largest depositors started pulling their money out. And, and why were they having those challenges? Was it because of poor investment of their assets or, or what? No, I think it was more, uh, some of the investments were probably wise at the time. And, and let, let's um, elaborate on that. The, two years ago, if they bought government securities, government bonds uh, that were yielding, you know, very low single digits in that, uh, that's what they were investing and that's what they're supposed to invest right. in. But the, the value of those have, has dropped as rates have increased, the values of those have dropped. So sure. last week when they had, um, they started getting concerns about liquidity, they started selling off those securities. So they're selling off into an already impaired market and they're yeah. selling these that yield significantly lower than than uh, current government securities do. And as a result, they were taking big losses on what they sold. Now they could hold them, they would have been fine, but they, they were forced to sell them to, to meet depositor demands. Now what's ironic is if they were less than a week later, if they were to have that same situation, they would not face the problem because the government has now come out and say, hey, we will um, provide capital to, uh, to banks uh, and they will accept those securities without them having to take a discount. So a week later, the whole dynamic has changed, but now the, I, I don't, I can't imagine the regulators ex- expected the consequences that are happening right now. There's a huge, possibly or probably irrational uh, emotional fear uh, that is, uh, you know, you see on, on, on TV right now or on, on media reports with people lining up outside First Republic Bank to take out their money. And uh, I, and I guess I, I luckily we don't bank with any of those institutions, although I did see that first first fifth, third bank who we do bank with that their stock was down uh, by a significant double digit amount today. And, uh, but you, they can't let the banking system, I mean, this can't happen to multiple banks. It's three banks that have closed in the last week. There's another three that will really, um, I think the emotion, uh, will overpower logic and, uh, and, and this will continue and, and that hopefully won't happen. Yeah. You would think that they might've learned a thing or two with Lehman brothers or, you know, that, that kind of thing where, or or with the Great Depression. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, History. There's a, there's a psychological component to this that they've completely ignored. Now, um, what's unique, what's interesting about what you said, George, is I think a lot of people are feeling high interest rates, you know, just in borrowing costs and um, that kind of thing, especially with real estate. A number of my, you know, my audience is involved with real estate. Um, but what you mentioned is an, is sort of a, a different angle on it, which is that banks and institutional investors uh, often are are investing in those bonds, and uh, those are plummeting in in value. And so, is is that um, unique to that? I mean, that can't be unique to Silicon Valley Bank because. Um, obviously there, that's what most banks are doing, right? Is buying barely conservative stuff. So do you have any sense of what it was specifically about Silicon Valley bank versus others that may have made them more prone to it or just in the, what I'm getting at here is trying to understand, like, you know, there's a few other banks out there, notably, I think first Republic and, and a few others that have, uh, um, you know, have been having similar problems. Is it, is it, are these typically the similar kind of 
uh, issues that Silicon Valley Bank is having? And why aren't the major banks like Chase having those? Yeah, I think Chase, um, uh, you know, the, the biggest banks uh, probably just have more more resilience, more yeah. capacity to, to bring on money. Uh, although some of the banks, Western Alliance is an example. There's three that keep getting mentioned, Western Alliance, Pacific Western, and, uh, and First Republic as having um, their stocks have just dropped dramatically, like huge, huge amounts. And Western Alliance put out a press release a few days ago, uh, stating that, Hey, we have this massive billions and billions in, um, in credit lines, uh, with the federal reserve bank and others that we can tap and, and their balances are at zero. So they're telling the market we have liquidity. Uh, but again, it's that emotional, um, yeah. component that's coming with this. And I mean, I'd be concerned if I, if I had, uh, you know, a million dollars in the bank in one bank and uh, it's only insured to 250 and okay, they bailed out Silicon Valley, but just to be safe, let me, let me bring it down exactly. to 250 yeah. and then move the other, the other money to three different banks. I mean, that's right. probably what would be a prudent thing to do. I mean, the risk of, of losing that money that you think is safe is, I, I think that would, is, is a fear that would be troubling. Yeah. An addition, additional benefit to the big banks is that, that those assets are actually moving to the big banks. They because are the perception yeah. of, of, uh, you know, a greater safety. Now, granted, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely, you know, uh, I've been in completely the chase, uh, JP Morgan world myself. So like, I actually feel good about it because yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's strengthening my, my position at least. But, um, you remember it brings back an expression that was in the last housing in the last uh, um, crisis, which was too big to fail. Right. I think some of those out, so some of those institutions are just too big to fail. They they can't let Chase go down. That's going to affect uh, a massive number of people. Small banks, regional banks affect a lot less people. But the problem is that you get this mass consolidation of of bigger and bigger banks, and and then you know the, the smaller community banks, it, it's very tough to operate yeah. and survive. Yeah. Let's let's switch over a little bit to I mean what your sweet spot really is is real estate as it relates to debt. Talk about real estate and debt. What's going on there um, in, from your perspective? Yeah, there's been a lot in the last uh, nine months. A lot of things have happened, and I'll give you some example examples which kind of uh, were before these banks, but maybe were a little bit ominous. Uh, some of the subprime lenders uh, were making loans at a year ago at, at uh, 4%, 5% to people who had uh, maybe credit issues or couldn't document their income. And these were non-QM loans. And uh, as soon as they, they wrote them, within a short period of time, they would sell those off to these big institutions, which had a very healthy appetite to buy them. Now, uh, what happened is in June of last year, many of these big institutions stopped buying and uh, some of the institutions actually spruce mortgage collapsed and went out of business. And they, um, and so some of these groups, these mortgage bankers had these loans on their lines at four and 5% or even sometimes even 3%. And now they, they had to sell and they have to get them off their line. So they sold those and those have, have tumbled in value, I think. And maybe there's been a slight uptick the last uh, several weeks, but you know, now we, we started seeing these, paying loans recently originated that they were selling it at discounts of 20, 25%. And, uh, and again, they were just funded months ago. And now they take the, these uh, bankers and, and other mortgage uh, industry groups took massive losses on those. And that that's, it's very similar. It's forcing a sale into unfavorable market conditions 
and you end up, uh, it, it ends up with, with huge amounts of losses. So um, let's talk a little bit about how this affects your um, primary business, AHP, because obviously there's a number of, of people um, who listen to this program who, who are invested in AHP, um, in part because you were also our first sponsor. Um, although, like I said, you, you didn't realize that when you first started sponsoring, there was only like five people listening. <laughs> but <laughs> it still was better than NPR for you, though. But, yeah, um, it was. Yeah. But um, so to to back up real quick, I'm just going to summarize your AHP business. Correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, the idea behind AHP is to buy buy troubled mortgages from, uh, you know, people who couldn't pay their mortgages and then basically buy those at a discount and then um, try to negotiate with the homeowner, try to get them to something that they can afford. Now, obviously, if if that doesn't work, which uh, which is certainly possible, then you have an asset that you presumably can sell for more uh, than you bought it at. So tell me about what's happened in that space. I mean, you know, at 10,000 feet looking down, I would think, well, gosh, you just said that, you know, we've got uh, paying assets being discounted by 20%. This should actually be good for your business. Is that right? I mean, what, so what's going on? It's okay if you're a buyer, not so good if you're a seller. Um, so in during COVID, uh, a couple of things happened. One is we bought a lot of loans. There are a bunch of opportunities at the beginning of COVID, uh, call it second half of 2020 and first few months of 2021. We bought a lot of loans, uh, tens of millions of loans. And uh, some of those were easy to resolve. You know, we go to the homeowner to do a mod. Others, hey, I don't want the property anymore. We do a deed in lieu. We'd sell those properties at, at, at um, once we had control at great markups. Um, and we did some large loan sales in that era. And I'd say at peak, probably December, 2021, where we had a, um, a good sized loan sale. And I remember the pricing was, was historic. It was never, never had HP sold reperforming loans at a higher price. Uh, but during the same period, uh, across the country, there are foreclosure moratoriums put in place. And in many places, you couldn't um, couldn't foreclose. Some places, you couldn't start the foreclosure. As many places, you could progress to the foreclosure, but you couldn't uh, do the get a judgment or, or, or take it to sale. And uh, so that kind of, uh, for the bars that were more difficult to resolve, uh, some of them just, hey, <laughs> I'm not going to pay. I'm not going to talk to you. And you can't do anything. And that was um, a mindset that, you know, happens. There was strategic defaults last time. Uh, and here um, that happened, but that all ended at the end of 2021, all the foreclosure moratoriums were lifted and we could proceed with foreclosure. And uh, we continued, we did a handful of loan sales in, in early 2021, mostly on the smaller side. Again, we were kind of running through, had run off many of the, the reperforming loans. Uh, but now as we started proceeding with foreclosure, uh, we started getting more reperforming loans. We also started those that weren't um, weren't uh, re- receptive. We just continued with the foreclosure process. And uh, towards the end of the year, uh, we our plan was to uh, do a, we put everything up for sale. Uh, almost everything in our portfolio we put up for sale. We put it through a large uh, investment bro- uh, banker, um, large investment brokerage, and they um, put it to market. And the bids were not what we expected. In fact, when they we first started talking to them in in the early fall, hey, this is what to expect. And then it just kind of dropped, dropped, dropped. And then by the time it was end of November, when they had all the bids in, hey, these this is not what we were talking about. And 
And so, and also I think they made a few missteps um, themselves, which kind of were more noticeable probably because the market wasn't doing so great. So we aborted that sale. We didn't sell any loans uh, as we had planned. And, and what made it a little worse is that we had uh, one of their thoughts was to make the loan sale as big as possible. We could attract some big institutions to the sale. Uh, and so as a result in the last few months of the year, we did, we stopped doing our regular kind of smaller sales. And then, uh, and so, which also kind of reduced our cash flow. So not a good situation by the end of the end of the year, um, by middle December, that sale was canceled and yeah. we started selling through our more normal channels and we did get some higher bids, but as those went to closing in, in end of December and, and, and through January, we had a lot of, um, people backing out a lot of people trying to trade, uh, reduce the pricing. The, uh, the market conditions have just continued to deteriorate. In effect, this is, as you, as you alluded to earlier, this is a little bit parallel to the, you know, the banking situation that you talked about with Silicon Valley and that, and that, you know, the, you, you've got effectively these bonds, right? I mean, these are mortgage backed securities or whatever, but they're, they're, they're bonds um, that you're trying, you've basically renegotiated and you've renegotiated Adam for a price and ultimately interest rates have gone up. So, so they've lost some value. Is that a fair parallel? That's a fair statement. Yeah, that is a fair statement. Uh, and remember they're mortgages. These are no longer, some of them were in mortgage backed securities, but by the time they get to us, they're whole loans. We own the whole loan. But then you're right. The question is then like, so are they still, are these securities or are these, uh, loans primarily paying though the ones that you've renegotiated or are they not paying some of them are and some of them are not paying uh and some of them are we're, we've just continued through the foreclosure process so put put two categories one is loans that we we modified maybe a year ago or a year you know a year and a few months ago and uh, you know regrettably some of those were modified at three and a half four four and a half percent and now to sell those is tough uh because the people say hey they're paying perfect but, you know, the interest rates right now, 7% is what, you know, a, a new loan is going to be at. So we're going to reduce it just because it is a, it's written at a, at a lower rate. Today, we're writing all the modifications get done at seven, seven and a half percent. And, but there's this period where we have these loans, which just hadn't had enough performance to sell. Now they do, but the performance is at, is maybe good, but it's at a low interest rate. The other side, you know, the bigger a portion of our portfolio is non-performing loans where the people, you know, we were able to start proceeding, moving the foreclosures forward at the end of 2021. We're getting to uh, right now, some of those foreclosure sales are being completed at the last minute. People come in and say, Hey, I want to do a deed in lieu or some other type of option. Uh, and that is, uh, those are our best options uh, right now. And that's, I think we have changed the mindset from selling these loans to working these loans out. If I can get a, um, get a deed in lieu on a home because a family can't afford it, or maybe the homeowner passed away and we work with the heirs. Uh, we can then sell the home and the market real estate market has, especially for affordable homes is still pretty robust. Uh, you know, it's not like it was a year ago where there's multiple offers, but the prices are still uh, pretty strong and significantly more than uh, when we first bought these loans. So we are seeing gains there. Uh, it's just, it's just been slow going. And uh, so that, and, that, the net net effect of that is not being able to necessarily have enough cash flow, but you know, you're still, you're still cash flow positive, but you're not necessarily able to meet the, you know, the monthly payments or, or have you been? 
Yeah. So uh, there's two things. One is, is paying uh, monthly distributions and the right. other is paying uh, paying redemptions and redemptions are at a, on pause right now. Uh, distributions we have largely paid. Uh, we're still, you know, we're, we're running, we're staggering them because cash flow has been tight. And I'll, I, and I, I'll add one, one, one other component to this. Uh, we, we funded both with debt and with equity. So we had a, uh, about a year ago, we had about $25 million in debt. In fact, uh, six months ago, we had $25 million in debt. We have that debt provider is actually, we work with a hedge fund, but behind them is money that came from one of the banks that I mentioned uh, is, is in trouble right now. And they have, um, you know, they that loan matured and uh, they gave us an extension, uh, but we paid them, we had to pay them three and a half million dollars. So basically everything we had, you know, from, from our resolutions uh, uh, six weeks ago, we gave to them and this week I'm supposed to give them another 2 million, but the other two, the good news is the other 2 million will get us a six, a six month extension, which will be a relief and will allow us to kind of over the next few weeks, return to more normal, more normal uh, operations in terms of cash flow. but, but satisfying their demands. And, you know, they're in uh, part of the problem. Uh, well, I'm sorry, the problem, part of the dynamic that's happened is a lot of people who have been loaning money, it wasn't their money, it was other people's money that they borrowed, they bought, have credit lines and whatnot, and then they, they borrow money and they loan it out. But now that they, they need it back, and uh, and they can't always control. And it's in this market, things have become very unpredictable. So that's been a big challenge for us the last several weeks. I've tried to navigate as best I can, but we have, I expect distributions will be back to normal timing uh, if not April, then by May, I think in the meantime, I think to get through uh, these few months, I've been staggering them and uh, we've been getting them out, but it's been, it's been, you know, slower than, than expected money's coming in. But again, I've had to prioritize the debt and, uh, yeah. and then, so think about it like this. Uh, the debt is down to, was down to, is currently down to $16 million, pay him another $2 million this week. So now it's down to 14. And again, it was a 25. And uh, once over the next few months, I expect I can pay off that debt. And then, uh, and then as money comes in, right. We're pay, we're, we're not only paying red- distributions, but we're paying redemptions and getting everyone back their money, which I want as much as, as anyone else. It is, um, you know, this extraordinary circumstances and, uh, and maybe I didn't react fast enough. It was tough to kind of envision how bad it's gotten. Um, and, but here's where we are. So uh, the good news is with, with our redemptions and it's, it was probably frustrating for investors is that when, um, you know, it's not mandated that we, we, we redeem the money. Uh, we historically before COVID, we always did within 30 days. Now it's gotten to, you know, it's taken a lot longer. And, uh, but we, you know, there are enough assets. If we were to sell them in a normal or to resolve them, uh, we did this exercise a few weeks ago. If we take all our current assets and what's our target resolution and how much money would be left. And there's enough to pay off all the investors. And then, uh, a modest amount over that. And as long as I'm, uh, and I want to say that's even expecting some market uh, dislocation like we're having right now. So we'll, you know, not to say we're immune to anything that comes at us, but you know, within reason, uh, I think we'll be in, in good shape. Uh, uh, but this, these, these, these few months right now have been very challenging. Yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting to me and, and uh, looking at this from different sides of the fence here, you know, being on the, you know, the owner's side and, and uh, all that um, is that people wonder, uh, people are asking the question a lot. Well, I mean, weren't you prepared for this? Right. Weren't you prepared for this? And I think it's an interesting question, right? Because like at the end of the day, 
the answer is, yeah, we lived through 2008. We kind of understand like, you know, that things can change quickly, but I don't know that you can ever prepare for something that you've never seen before. Um, for example, in, in the case that we're talking about, people need to understand that, yeah, it, rates were going up and we, you know, people may have prepared for rates going up, but the degree and the, you know, the acceleration of how quickly rates went up uh, is, is unprecedented. Right. Even people bring up Volcker days and stuff like that. But absolute numbers, these these rates went up much faster than the 80s hyper, you know, uh, mm-hmm. hyper in, inflation reaction by Paul Volcker. Um, so what else can you do? Because to me, like I think about this and I'm like, well, if you expect, you know, the absolute extremes on things to happen in your underwriting, you're never going to buy anything. Right. I mean, so what, how do you, how do you see this problem and what would you do? You know, what will you do if you do anything differently in the future? Well, I'll tell you, we, I'll tell you a couple of things. One is um, not to be lost. We did build a, uh, not to be lost on people's minds that we have the loans, uh, it, at least in HP servicing, we, we, we um, have not only the loans, but we also have uh, the servicer. We built a national servicer, which when I first started building it, I was, Hey, the market had gotten, uh, fairly unattra- less attractive to buy buy loans at the time, and instead we um, we um, built this servicer, and I was anticipating yeah. the next downturn where we could be uh, we could better control the dispositions. Mm-hmm. So here we are, potentially on the doorstep of, of the next downturn, uh, and uh, we are talking to, and, th- and this has been going on for. Uh, we've had a couple of potential buyers and buyers of of, a, of an interest, uh, strategic partners in the servicer. And this continues. Uh, we had one that we spent with a lot of time with last year. I think they were kind of caught up in the the challenges of of, uh, of last summer and fall, uh, and they um, they moved on. They moved away from it. But now we have three potential buyers that we're working with. And again, they're all buying not not buying the servicer. They're buying a, an interest in the servicer. The the uh, biggest one is the one that is also the best capitalized and they want, uh, and they own a lot of mortgage servicing rights. That would be a, uh, I need to bring in more loans into the uh, servicing operation that would generate um, profit on just the operation. The reality is as we built this operation, the asset, you know, that our asset investments have subsidized the build out of the servicing operation. And now that needs to perform independently and on its own. You know, they're together, but, but, asset sales at some point we're done we need to um we need to succeed on, at the servicer and so that is a, a big focus uh to say what we do differently i mean that's it's a, a yeah i know the market yeah it's impo- it's i mean honestly so this goes through my mind i try not to think about it i could have put everything out for sale non-performing everything uh this the last quarter of 2021 or even the very early part of 22 and i could have uh we could have taken advantage of you know ex- record low interest rates and the yeah. and the the uh the market the heated market that was out there then i mean yeah. it's easy to say that that's what we should have done yeah. um yeah. and i tell that i mean i try you what do you do you can't you can't change it so yeah. you kind of um have to just work with what you have and make the best decisions based on where we stand, I, we still have a tons of hundreds, I mean, tens of millions in assets, uh, which can be resolved. And, you know, every, every, we have 51 deeds of Lewin, uh, in process. We put a huge priority on resolving these loans. I'm paying one bar, $150,000 to sign the deed in lieu to this house in, 
in Brooklyn that um, I, it's going to take me a couple of years to foreclose. It's worth it. Uh, I mean, she actually has some equity and uh, and it's a good resolution. We're going to let her stay for a little while on a lease. Uh, so we are being ex- more aggressive than ever. And, and in retrospect, I should have done this a year ago, but a year ago or a year and a half ago, people didn't feel the pressure that they feel today because that foreclosure is these foreclosures are moving forward. And we're actually like, okay, if I, the bar has got to be thinking, if I don't do something, then I could actually lose my house. So let me, let me talk, let me talk and make a deal. And so that's what we're, we're doing. Um, and, you know, I see others kind of faced with some of the circumstances that we are, and it's easy to kind of like, uh, let me, let me, close shop and do it again. And, you know, that, and start over. And I, you know, I've been reading up on, on, um, on others, you know, Apple, there's, there's a lot of businesses that have had, and not to compare myself to Steve Jobs or Apple, but it's, it's interesting to see, you know, how, how um, even Starbucks, how going through these periods of distress and uh, we've shed a lot of employees. And in fact, you know, I'm, I'm surprised with how relatively few employees we're working with and are still getting the job done. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're cutting costs everywhere we can. I think that these types of exercises, unfortunately forced, um, but are, you know, will, will um, strengthen us uh, for the future. And, but right now it is, it is tough, but, you know, as we kind of see, see get through the worst of this, I think we'll come out stronger. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is ultimately like, I mean, we, we're seeing it across the board in real estate too, right? Like if we had sold our portfolio, if we'd known, um, if we'd known what was going to happen and we mm-hmm. were sold, we would have made so much money and no, we're still making money, but it's not, and we're definitely going to take a haircut because of what's going on in, um, interest rate wise. You mentioned that it's not a good time to be a seller. Is it a good time to be a buyer yet? Ah, so today I submitted, uh, we did buy, so we bought a pool of, um, on 12, on December 30th, which is the last business day of the year at 8 PM, I closed a pool from a hedge fund that was, uh, another buyer had backed out of it at the last minute. So we bought it, um, and they financed the majority of it. It was a good opportunity. Uh, in fact, they financed almost all of it. Uh, but it was a good opportunity. They had to close their fund last year. So we were able to, uh, it was an opportunistic buy, which we haven't resolved any of the assets yet, but we are working on those. I think we'll start seeing our first resolutions over the next 30 days. Uh, it was a great, op- it was a great buy. Uh, today, uh, I made a bid on a pool that was brought to me on Friday, just the stuff we used to buy. Um, and it's from one of the biggest originators in the country. It is a, um, a pool with a lot of issues, but we can buy them at a, what appears to be an extraordinary price. Uh, so, you know, we don't, I'm going to have to find financing for that or something like that. Um, that would be just specific to that pool. Uh, but that's, so we're not, I'm, I, you know, it's been, we need to move forward. We need, we need to, um, to operate as a business. I see opportunities, find a way to, um, to seize them. I mean, that's ultimately going to generate revenue and, and profit and, and things ultimately, you know, if things go as, as expected to, um, to HP, which is going to be helpful for everyone. Yeah. And I think there's a lesson in that too, because I think part of what happens is people get so terrified about what's going on right now. But, you know, if you're in this consistently up and down, you know, presumably, you know, you, you may have taken a haircut, you may have lost a little bit of money or something on various things right now, but you have to look at the other side of it, which is, okay, well, that means I should be buying now, or I should be investing in things and not getting terrified uh, and sitting on your hands. 
um, because that's this is when these are the opportunities. This is these. you know these are the opportunities, and because of fear, uh, people don't take advantage of them. And we we haven't quite gotten there in um, apartment buildings and that sort of thing yet. But I mean, it's we're right on the precipice of it, uh, and you know, hopefully, people will react rationally and uh, not out of fear. No, I agree. You'll see in 2008, I mean, there were some great opportunities, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, uh, great opportunities, but so many people have lost money in real estate there. I'm, I'm not doing that anymore, right. uh, but there, it created these great opportunities. Now the same thing, a lot of people made a money, made money for several years. People are likely going to take hits over the next few years. Uh, it's odd. I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, it, it, so far real estate has not, um, at least residential real estate, uh, single family, uh, has not taken, um, the hit in some markets it has where there was hyper inflate, hyper appreciation, but it will be um, interesting to see, but by and large on the affordable sector, we've seen um, some st- reasonable measure of, of stability, but offices, hotels, um, those have been, uh, you know, that's hard hit. And I, we are starting to see some big, big office buildings uh, with defaults. And uh, that will be um, interesting to see where that, where that goes. I mean, on the, the reality is it's America has changed how it interacts with office buildings as an example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people don't go to the offices as much as they used to, if at all, or even have an office. And so, you know, what are these buildings going to be used for? It's hard to say, or does America kind of go back to where it was? It, it's hard to say. It's hard mm-hmm. to imagine that would happen, but um, either way, there, there's a, uh, a price at which those are a good value. Yeah, I'm curious about your take on this. I know you're not an economist, but, you know, I think about, like, all of this conversation that you're having, that we're having, you know, with um, apartment buildings. And in the meantime, uh, unemployment has record lows. Inflation continues to go. It's like a schizophrenic uh, economy, right? Like where, you know, what's going on here? Like one part is like, oh, boy, we're in trouble. And the other is like you know, we're still sitting in the day in the beach or something like it. There's no, what do you, what do you think is driving this sort of strange uh, double headed monster? I think someone was, I, I, it wasn't me, but someone was talking about this being a top down um, collapse and it is starting at the top. A lot of these big funds that had a lot of leverage that was smart a year or two ago is now looking like, Oh, we're in trouble. And I, I, so it isn't the average everyday American is suffering because of, high prices, high cost of living, price of eggs, I mean, being an extreme example, but there's this, my wife comes home and this grocery bill is huge. And uh, that is, um, and that's for everybody. And that that's tough, but the- uh, But that's but driving of, wages up too. Yeah, it, ha- it has to, in order for people to, right. to, to, to pay to live. Right, no, and, and I get that, but I guess then- you know, we're, well, you put all these factors together. What is it? What, what do you yeah, come up with? I, I right. don't know. Uh, yeah. But this, I, I don't know. I, the next few weeks and the next few months will be very interesting. I think that we're starting with these banks toppling. I think that's the beginning of something. Uh, if anything, there's an emotional, um, uh, it's going to trigger fear and emotions that, um, you know, will create opportunities. Particularly um, because as you alluded to when we were offline, um, you know, the Fed's talking about raising interest rates still. Now I haven't really heard anything since this, you know, since this whole thing has happened, but I mean, if they continue to raise interest rates while watching banks um, fall apart, I mean, it's, it's sort of unbelievable that that would happen, but it, it might. 
I mean, what what's your take? Yeah, the forecast was that they were going to raise the rates again uh, at the next meeting, which is the next week or two. Uh, that's changed. I think as of today, uh, they're thinking that they'll let it stay the same. I at some point there, I mean, the Fed is partly responsible for this. It's it's. I don't think this was the intended consequences. These banks collapsing and. That is, you know, they did say they wanted to create pain in the economy in order to tame inflation, which seems logical and worthy. But it's gone, uh, it's gone to an extreme, and I wonder now they have to kind of, they likely have to backtrack a bit by leaving the rates the same, or by even dropping them. I can't imagine the drop will happen at this meeting, but maybe in subsequent meetings, depending on where this economy goes, it's it, you know, one of the challenges when they dropped rates so low during COVID is that's the big tool to stimulate an economy is to drop interest rates. And it worked. Mm -hmm. It worked probably too well uh, during that period. And, uh, and now they've made up for it, but it's, it's a, uh, it's having extraordinary consequences of its own. Well, they have dry powder now. If they need it. Yeah, they can drop it again, right. which they will, right. which at some point they're going to. Now they actually have that tool back in their belt. Hey, we can quell yeah. things by dropping rates. And that if, if things get really bad this week, you know, that, that, that becomes plausible for the next meeting. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, good stuff, George. I appreciate you being on. I know you're getting uh, a lot of uh, mail, email from uh, the audience. So I thought it'd be good to kind of explain what's going on. But it sounds like overall your, you know, your 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 perspective on the business and investor money and stuff is actually pretty solid. It's just a matter of cash flow issues and you know adjusting to what's going on and and potentially taking advantage of what's coming your way. Yeah, absolutely. There'll be a more opportunities, and we'll pr- find a way when there's a, a, an opportunity that we a great opportunity to try and seize it. Uh, and I think we'll do that. Uh, and and navigate this. Uh, you know, those that survive um, will will likely thrive. It, it, there'll right. be a much thinner in terms of mortgage servicers, originators. There'll be there'll be less of us. Um, yeah. There already are than there were six months ago, and they'll continue to be less. So it creates an opportunity for those who can navigate this. Good stuff. And I appreciate yeah, yeah and, and for the investors. Uh, I appreciate everyone's patience. It's not you know this is trying times, but my focus is to it's in the best interest of of everybody to, um, you know, navigate this, um, and, um, and come out the other side as strong as possible. Thanks, George. Thanks for being on the program. I appreciate it, but we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it, or I don't know if you were enjoying it or if you were like scared, but either way, it's stuff you got to know. And again, I'm just here to remind you, even as George said in that interview, you know, it's not a good time necessarily to be a seller right now, right? But it is probably a pretty good time to become a buyer. And I think what we're going to need to be aware of is that we're going to have opportunities to buy within the next few months and we have to not behave irrationally and, you know, get paralyzed with fear. This is really important because this is when you can make a lot of money. Anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. 
Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.